Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Movies for Life. I'm Michelle Egan. And I'm Brian Kuyper. Welcome, everybody. We're ready. Um, fantastic reviews on our first episode. Can we just say? No, that's a lie. No. Yeah, we, <laughs> we haven't, haven't had any reviews yet because um, we're recording these a bit ahead of time. That's okay. I just wanted to start us off on an upbeat, you know? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that will be true, though. Hopefully that yes. will be true. I, I I feel it. It will be. I feel like it will be. Yeah, I, yeah, I know yeah. it. I just know it. <laughs> uh, one thing I, um, I wanted to say kind of at the top of the show that I didn't say on our first episode, we gave a lot of love to one of our favorite podcasts, Pure Cinema. Um, but I want to give a special thank you to Brian Sauer, who um, helped us a lot when we were first thinking about starting this show with the, the technological stuff uh, he was the first person uh, i thought of to go to to ask for advice and he was awesome so thank you brian yes thank you very much brian we really appreciate you definitely so what are we talking about today do you want to okay introduce us sure okay so we're talking about unexpected childhood favorites and so we picked a couple of very different movies for this which, <laughs> yes, <we did. laughs> um, after i watched yours i was like oh did i interpret this wrong um but no that's not the case (laughs) that's not the case so um the whole idea was behind this we all have movies that are maybe off the beaten path you know out of the mainstream that we just fell in love with as kids we each picked one of those Uh, in my case it's more of a family-friendly movie uh that just i don't know it's it's a little bit outside the mainstream it's not it didn't do particularly well when it came out. It, I had never even heard of it. You had, until oh, you is that mentioned it? Wow, that's cool. I did. I had no idea that that I was one of those people that offered a recommendation that no one ever heard of before. <laughs> so at least one person. Uh, so yeah. so that's wow, that's exciting. And you had seen mine before once, right? Once we might have watched it a second time the next day. We did that from time to time as when I was young. Um, so yeah. I. I if I saw it twice, it was like within 24 hours of seeing it the first time. Because it's that awesome. I had it, to watch it again. It, it, <laughs> actually, yeah. I, I, I really liked it a lot. And I remembered so much of it. I, we'll get to that when we talk about the movie itself. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I just feel like these movies are... For the for the topic, you know, you think you you grow up um, in a certain time period. There are movies that you think like everybody that's in the same age group, you know, was in love with. Like for me, it's probably like Labyrinth and The Princess Bride, and these are ones that um, probably nobody watched as much as you did when you were a kid. That's why it's kind of unexpected. Yeah, not the ones that you would think of immediately as a as a childhood favorite. Exactly. Exactly. So strangely enough. We both picked movies that have a surprising amount in common. 
uh, and then are very different in a lot of other ways. Uh, one of them is they were both released in 1986, yep. uh, which is an interesting thing. Um, so we should probably mention what movies we're talking about, first of all. Yes, we should. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea. Um, so first we're going to talk about my pick, which was uh, Space Camp. The other And the uh, other thing is, along with your pick, which is uh, Penny Marshall's Jumpin' Jack Flash, both yeah. of these movies have absolutely stacked casts. I know, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, whoa. I, I couldn't believe uh, the number of familiar faces that were popping up in even the both s- of them. really small roles, even, in, in both yeah. of these movies. Uh, and we'll get into the specifics of that uh, when we when we talk about the movies in particular. Um, yeah, when you mentioned yours and I looked it up, I was like, okay, hell yeah, <laughs> man. Look at all these people. I love all these people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but in, in in other ways, they're completely different. Uh, completely. <laughs> mine, mine is a legitimate family film. I think probably yeah. kid friendly film, whereas Jumpin' Jack Flash is mine is a a comedy spy. Like, yeah, R rated, R rated. Really only R-rated. for for language, but for language. Yeah. yeah, but but you know still, and that's one of the things that surprised me. I was like, I was allowed to see this movie because just, <laughs> oh, I know, I watched this mm-hmm. all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. This came out when I was like right after I was born, but I, I can't remember a time when I was not watching Jumpin' Jack Flash. And I was like, I probably should not have been watching it as all the, the language, but yeah. we'll get into it. Well, and and another thing about that, I mean, because I wasn't, I feel like it was a really long time before I was allowed to watch R-rated movies as a kid. So the fact that I had seen Jumpin' Jack Flash kind of like, oh, okay, this must have been one of those ones where my parents were like, eh, it's it's just... They, they've heard these words, <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. Um, oh, my parents didn't care when I was a kid, so they let me watch pretty much anything. But the thing is, you know, we also, it, you know, honestly, I, I think the floodgates kind of opened fairly early on as soon as, because I remember the first one already movie I watched was Firestarter at my uncle's house. And then that just sort of opened the floodgates and we watched all sorts of Stephen King movies, like as a family. We watched The Shining on Christmas yeah. Day. Uh, you know, and uh, I remember seeing Your family is awesome. Yeah, and and seeing um, seeing all sorts of movies. Um, like RoboCop was actually a big childhood favorite of, of mine. Reasonably young, considering how violent that movie is. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's for another episode. We gotta yes. talk about RoboCop because I oh for sure freaking love that movie. Okay, um, so, all right, so Space Camp. Space Camp. We're gonna start with Space Camp. Obviously, I watched this movie a ton as a kid. My brother and I were both really interested in space, like real space travel. I mean, I love Star Wars. Still do love Star Wars, I will admit, even though some of the later iterations are not my favorite. They're, they're okay. But this movie, much of it takes place in an actual, real space shuttle. A science fiction, but plausible situation i don't know if, i don't know about that well it, it, it's it, it's it's uh it's sort of like on MythBusters where you have busted you have confirmed <laughs> and then you have plausible there's a lot of room in that plausible category there and it was shot at the actual space camp in in Hun- houston was it? uh huntsville alabama actually oh alabama is, okay. is where it takes place but we actually watched it again as a family uh, a couple months ago and i hadn't seen it in years and years and years and I thought, huh, this is still kind of cool. <laughs> I still I still enjoy this movie. At the same time, I'm willing to admit, yeah, there's some stuff in it that's really, really corny. Well, I just saw it for the first time last night 
for the show. And I got to tell you, I really liked it a lot. It was so cute. It seems like something I should have seen back then. Um, I know it's from the 80s, but I do remember like watching Nickelodeon shows in the 90s, like Double Dare or Legends of the Hidden Temple or something. I can't remember specifically, but where like Space Camp was one of the prizes. I think. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Like going to Space uh-huh. Camp. And that's where I was always like, I think a lot of kids from... Uh, who watched those shows were like, I want to go to Space Camp, even if they weren't interested. Like, Space Camp just sounded freaking cool. So I should have known that there was a movie about kids going to Space Camp and then actually going into space. Yeah, but. yeah. <laughs> the the uh, <laughs> the actual in space section of the movie is, is, <laughs> is kind of funny. But, you know, hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Hello. And what is your name? Rudy Pyro, ma'am. Spit it out, Rudy. Rudy Tyler, ma'am! <sighs> I meant the gum, Rudy. You look like a guy with a lot of energy. I'm making you mission specialist number one, equipment function and operation. Oh, wow. Thanks, man. You know, my father told me that when you come to space camp, we give you all kind of different... We'll talk about later, okay? Oh, by the way, this is space camp and not the Marine Corps. Yes, ma'am. You can call me Andy. Speaking of the stacked cast, okay, so yes. we have Kate Capshaw, probably best known otherwise from this, from uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and also as Mrs. Steven Spielberg, as, as Andy. Uh, you have Leah Thompson as Catherine, uh, Kelly Preston, uh, Larry B. Scott, I'm going to skip that name for a second. Uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, Terry O'Quinn, and Tate Tate Donovan. Now, the name I left off is sort of a mind blower. I left off... You left off off, Baby Joaquin. Yeah, I I left off someone who was credited in this film as Leaf Phoenix, because his brother River had been fairly popular at this time. But he did not go by... Joaquin for this film, but it is in fact Oscar winner uh, Joaquin Phoenix as a very, he's like 10 in this movie yeah. at most. I mean, and I gotta say, even as a child, you could, you can see something in him that's like, mm-hmm. this guy is really good. Yeah. He's got something really special about him. And um, I just love it. Another thing that sort of blew my mind from the opening credits was the music for this is written by John Williams. Uh, oh, wow. And, and, and this just seems like one of those movies where it's like this little, it's not a big movie to me. It, yeah. it, it seems like it's made in sort of that mid-level, um, you know, it's not a it's not a micro-budget movie by any means, but it's somewhere in that middle ground. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that John Williams would write a score for. But I'm glad he did. But I am too. And it's, and it's a lovely score. Uh, it's not as memorable as some of his greats, but it's very good. I mean, and he's given, he's bringing just as much to this as he did, as he does to anything else. Either. Was there anything else from from sort of the production standpoint that stood out to you? Um, no, just kind of knowing that it was actually shot at space camp was very cool to me. Like mm-hmm. getting to see like what all these kids actually got to do at, at one mm-hmm. point. Do they still? have space camp i think they do right i think so i think so though you know um the space program is not what it was in in 1986 and and there's there's a there's a key element of why this movie was had had difficulty 
in its in its time. Um, yeah, you know, might as well bring it up now. Um, before I think it was right before the movie was going to be released, or just as it was wrapping, or something like that. The Challenger disaster mm-hmm. happened, which you know. You would have been one, so so it's, it, you you don't. I'm don't sure remember don't remember, the remember that. Though. I was eight years old. I remember it very well. There's some kids who remember, you know, watching the launch in school. I it happened earlier in the morning than when I was in school, so I didn't see that happen live. That's one thing that's that's kind of horrifying about the whole situation. Yeah. I mean, as you had. Uh, this idea of the teacher in space, and I remember the build-up to that. If this, if this was an event, watching the launch was an event for many schools, particularly, I think, on the East Coast and sort of into the Midwest, and they were watching this live on television when the shuttle exploded and these seven people died. And yeah, it's crazy. it's just, oh, I, I, I kind of got a little bit of a chill even thinking about that because it is... That was a frightening thing. And that's one of the things that, interestingly enough, that stood out to me in this movie was this idea of young people facing their mortality is Mm -hmm. happening a lot in this movie. That being said, it's a very fun movie. Yes. (laughs) You know, there's it's not it's not heavy all the time. Well let's get into like the plot and what happens here. Yeah. So it's a group of actually, even back before that, you have the character of Andy played by Kate Capshaw who they show as a little girl seeing John Glenn orbiting. And she's like, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be the first woman to walk on the moon, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, She arrives at uh, NASA headquarters to find out that she's not going up on the next flight. And instead, she's going to be teaching kids at space camp. (laughs) Instead, she's not particularly excited about this, but, um, you know, she does it. Then we sort of meet our cast of characters that are going to yep. be in her group. Uh, Leah Thompson, who's very ambitious, wants to be you know, the first yes. female shuttle commander. She's the one that's like, I know exactly who you are. I'm going to be just like you, and I'm going to be on that shuttle. Yeah, I liked her character a lot. Yeah, yeah. Then you have Kelly Preston, who is an eidetic memory. She's extremely... I mean, she's... It's funny because it's this, it's this wonderful juxtaposition of sort of this I guess you would call it a stereotypical valley girl character. Yeah. Like she's kind of a valley girl airhead, but she's also really smart. Yeah. And and the thing the thing is what the one thing I was I was wondering is are they trying to soft pedal how smart she is or is it just because she has such a phenomenal Um I don't know, but she, no she is really smart cuz she I I I think so too. Yeah, like you were saying like she says something about how she remembers everything that she's read, but she also um is interested in what she's not just here she she kind of gives the um, when she says why she wants to be at space camp something about she wants to be like a, a DJ or something is that her or is that the other guy? Um, she wants to be like a, a DJ well, I, in space or Rudy Rudy wants to own a fast food restaurant <laughs> yeah. in space, um, <laughs> which I love. I think that's so funny. Um, so they give her reasons for for wanting yeah. to be there. It's like kind of silly, but she does. She does do the work, and she knows what she's doing mm-hmm. once they actually get up into the, the shuttle, and they're in yeah. space and trying to get back home. The the whole crew wants to be there, except for one. So uh, Tish is Kelly Preston's character. Then you have Rudy Tyler, played by Larry B. Scott, um, who I think is hilarious. Yeah, he's great. It's like, he's, I love it. His introduction, I always remember, is when he's 
he's chewing on gum, and he asks his name, and he says, Rudy Tyler, man. And she says, spit it out, Rudy. Rudy Tyler, Tyler man! man. <laughs> you know, she's going, I meant the gum. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just love that. His character is interesting because he's like, he loves science, but he has, he's sort of the opposite of Tish in some ways. He just has trouble remembering, remembering some of the intricacies. Yeah, he has the ambition, but he feels like people don't believe in him. Right. That's kind of his thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, when he has his moments of confidence, it's like, he's mm-hmm. right. Leaf Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, is supposed to be over at the junior camp. Yeah. But he uh, convinces Andy and Tom Skerritt's character, whose name is, character name is Zach, right. He convinces them to allow him to stay, and he becomes a vital member of the team. Yes, and yes. he's also, I mean, he's also the one. He's the character yes. for the kids, and he's into Star Wars, and mm-hmm. I was into Star, Star Wars. A lot of Star Wars references, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I kind of I kind of loved him. <laughs> when How I was you not? He's so cute. Yeah, I mean, and he was, you know, these, he, was, he was people I knew. He was me. He was mm-hmm. that kind of thing, so. Uh, and then our crew was rounded out by uh, Tate Donovan as Kevin, who does not want to. And he sort of tricks his way into being part of this particular crew because he uh, sees Catherine and wants to hit on her. Yes. Yeah. Um, And he pulls up, and what what I find hilarious, he pulls up in his Jeep listening to Forever Man by Eric Clapton. I'm like, (laughs) there was a time when Eric Clapton was an 80s pop star, and that just kind of blows my mind (laughs) a little bit, you know, (laughs) because I love Eric Clapton. But I think of him as, you know, Layla, yeah. blues, and this sort of stuff. So to hear the sort of 80s pop star version, which I was familiar with, but it's just sort of like, oh, that's, that's crazy to me. And so Tate, one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. Okay, so Catherine, Leah Thompson, very much is like, I want to be the shuttle commander. And Tate's like, I don't want it. And then, but Andy says, okay, Catherine, you're the pilot, and Kevin, you're the shuttle commander. I have trouble seeing her motivation in doing that. I mean, in that well, just Andy's knowing, a pilot, yeah, isn't she? So Andy's I think a pilot. She definitely sees a little bit of herself in Catherine that that mm-hmm. ambition and that drive, and mm-hmm. so she's very hard on her throughout the movie to like do it right and like be the best. And yeah, I was a little confused when she said she wanted to be like the top dog on the shuttle, and and Andy told her no, but. As the movie plays out, yeah. it makes sense to the yeah. plot. I mean, it makes sense because Catherine is better suited to the role she's right. given. And, and, and ultimately, uh, Kevin sort of steps up into that. Exactly, position. yeah. It but is confusing at first that at first she doesn't like, let her do that. Exactly. It's like, yeah. is she? does she have... Does Andy have that much intuition that she just knows that <laughs> Catherine's going to be the pilot? She's going to be a great pilot. She's going to save us all. And yeah. and 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 uh, Kevin, he's 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 got a he's a natural leader. He's going to be our shuttle commander, even though he's a jerk. or if he's trying or she's trying to like knock her down a little bit and say yeah. like you gotta you gotta start a little bit lower before you can go up because we gotta we have as yeah, women we have to work sort of, harder and prove ourselves. And that's the scene that makes where it come becomes clear. You know, after okay, so there's a, so we've met our met our crew. Yes, we okay. go out. The plot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we get <laughs> get to catch everyone up here. Okay, so we learn about this little robot 
This is the one. Another thing very in the important movie. character in the movie is Jeeves. Yeah, this is the one thing in the movie that honestly, honestly, I I, I kind of cringe. You know, I know it becomes a key element of the plot, <laughs> but the Jinx thing—it's like, okay, this is not aged well. So Jinx, he's a little like robot that's supposed to be able to walk on the moon, yeah, and perform tasks for them. You know, one of those little robots with the the arms and it can talk. Yeah, and... it's very R two D two like, right? And it becomes a plot device uh, later in the movie, but it's, I don't know. The, <laughs> That's the one thing where I'm like, I understood why they did it. I understood why it's a part of the movie, but it's one that is sort of, you know, it's not very forward seeing. <laughs> it doesn't, it's the element of the movie that's sort of like, ah, it's cute. It's okay. Yeah. It, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work for me. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was cute. I love Jinx. Uh, okay. But Jinx is a robot who will basically do anything that he is told yeah, he's completely um, literal. And Max really takes a shine to him. They become best friends, which is super cute. Max and yes. Jinx. And Max makes a wish. And Max is nah. feeling kind of like... Jinx, but uh, Max Tate, Tate, like, says something to him, and Max gets really yeah. upset and says, I wish I was in space. Yeah, and it's and again, it's that whole Star Wars thing. Because and this this happens because of the scene that I was uh, kind of alluding to earlier. Kevin and I said Tate, yeah, his name's Kevin. Yeah, yeah, Tate Donovan, <laughs> Tate Donovan is, the, is is the actor. Kevin takes Kate out, sneaks her off campus to go and see you know the shuttle on the pad, and it's actually a nice scene. It's it's, a, it's yeah. the scene as a kid that I hated. I was like, this is boring. But now I'm like, wow, this is this is a key scene because you're getting some kind of serious stuff. I mean, because it's the mid-80s. People are thinking about nuclear war and thinking about, you know, any type of, of end of the world happening, you know, at any moment. When I was a kid, that was that was true. I mean, that was... We always were on some sort of alert that we were all going to die in some sort of nuclear <laughs> holocaust. And it, it's, it's sad, but it's true. It really was that way. And so when she says, in space, anything is possible... And maybe if we go up there, we can not screw everything up this time. Mm. And, you know, I, I really like that scene. And then, of course, Zach and Andy find out about them sneaking off campus, find them. And then the, you have that scene that, that we were kind of talking about between Andy and Catherine, where, where she says, as a woman in this program, if you want to be part of this, this is... And, and up until Sally Ride in the early 80s, NASA was a complete men's group. Mm -hmm. You know, mission control and astronauts. I mean, obviously you had characters like the hidden figures. You know, you had the, quote, computers, who were essentially female math geniuses who were making everything happen behind the scenes. But she said, you know, if you want to succeed in this program, you need to be better than anyone else. You need to cross every T and dot every I. You are held to a different standard. Catherine, we were just talking. That's not the point and you know it. Nobody cares about space camp more than I do. And you've been on my case since day one. Why? The first time I met you, I saw it in your eyes. It's like looking in a mirror. You're special, Catherine. Why are you so hard on me? 
because someday you're going up. But the only way you will is if you have every drill down better than everyone else. There's no room for mistakes. Every I dotted, every T crossed. That's the way I learned it. That's the way you'll learn it. You copy? And it was like Which then, unfortunately, then, is true. Yeah, exactly. Still true. Exactly. It is. It is, and it's unfortunate, but it is true. Then uh, Andy's motivations finally make sense to me. Yeah, that's the moment where it's like I made you pilot because you need to realize that you can't. You're not always going to get exactly what you want. It's unfortunate, you know, that <laughs> you know, thirty plus years on, this is still a conversation. Yep. Um, but it is anyway. Then we get so after after this, this is when Kevin confronts Max and says, you know, he says, "I'm sorry, Han Solo, I let you down." And, and you know, Kevin just goes off on him. Yeah. Like, there is no force, there is no dark side, and you need to face reality. You're not Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, and that's important for later too. <laughs> you know, uh, you face reality here, and and he, and Jinx over hears him say, "I wish I was in space," and he goes and finds the. NASA taps into the mainframe computer of NASA, as one does. And sure. <laughs> sure, that's just totally easy to do. Yeah. Yeah, and figures out a way to, for James put Max in space. <laughs> um, yeah, they're doing um, an engine test mm-hmm. on one of the shuttles, which the kids get to um, sit actually sit in the shuttle while they're doing that. And Max is like, oh, really? Instead of an engine test, why don't we make it a launch? Exactly. So he forces a technical glitch that makes them have to, causes mission control to have to ignite both boosters and, and force a launch. Actually launch other, the other, shuttle. Yeah, otherwise they'll, they'll die. That coming out around the time of the Challenger uh, yeah. explosion, you can understand why that was... Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why the movie got kind of uh, buried a little bit, why it hadn't heard yeah. of it. Or... it. It did get kind of kind of buried. Uh, luck, I mean, I don't even know how I came across this movie back in the day, but it, it, it's one of those things where it, it sort of managed to find its way on home video, at least in a, in a small degree. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, we make it into space. So once they get into space, they had to make it a little bit harder, as if it wasn't a big enough deal that there's a bunch of freaking kids in space. (laughs) They only have one tank of oxygen. They only have one tank of oxygen. They only have shortwave radio. I think that's a really important... Yes, they don't have... They don't yeah, have any contact have, with mission control. Exactly. So, I mean, they don't have any direction except from Andy, yeah. at least at first. Um, there so, is a window where they can get back to Earth, where NASA can, can take control and get them back to Earth, but they don't have enough oxygen to get there. So I just thought that was funny. I was like, is it not a big enough deal that there's kids on a space shuttle? We have I to, know. We have to add more to this, like that they're going to die of no oxygen. There's some real peril in this yeah, movie. Yeah, there is. You know? Now, luckily, um, there is a uncom- incompleted space station, Daedalus. Daedalus. That has nice o- Roman mythology reference. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Daedalus um, and Icarus. Yeah, exactly. 
little uh, undercurrent there is, you know, there is this sense of mortality and, and mm-hmm. you know, the possibility of flying too high and having, <laughs> and, you know, dying because the sun melts your wings, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, that happens on re-entry. Um, but, um, oh, everyone dies on re-entry. That's really good. The end. The end. No, that's not what happens. But it, it all comes down to them having to work as a team. Yeah. Um, because, you know, so in some of the earlier sequences in the space camp sequences, they fail at it a lot. Yeah, they start fighting and they don't mm-hmm. stick to their own roles and do what they're supposed to do. They try to take over. Catherine mm-hmm. tries to take over as shuttle commander and tries to take over Rudy's job. And yeah. instead of just letting them do what they know that they're supposed to do. So, yeah, yeah they have to work as a team and apply what they've learned, which I don't know how that's <laughs> possible in a real space shuttle but <laughs> right right this is I part mean, of the improbability that i was thinking of I was there, like, Would that? yeah that's why it's improbable <laughs> it's improbable but there is sort of a maybe not a, impossible <laughs> in maybe not impossible yeah it's highly unlikely of course <laughs> um but some of the stuff that you know i found really interesting were these little moments where they're just like as teenagers facing the possibility that they're not going to make it home, that they they will die. And it's just like, for a movie like this to have its characters thinking about mortality yeah. is kind of surprising. And it's something that didn't really dawn on me as I watched it as a kid. But, you know, there's particularly a moment between Catherine and Kevin where they're like, she's like, we're, we're not going to make it, are we? You know, and it's 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 kind of a moving scene. It's short. It's very short. Even though you know that they're most likely going to survive. Yeah. Because this is a kid's movie. Exactly. <laughs> or a family movie, at least. Yeah, it is. But they don't freak out, is the thing. Right. Uh, there's maybe a couple of little moments where, like, Tish, when she kind of freaks out when they're running low on oxygen and everything. But they don't really, like, lose their cool. They're like, okay. We gotta. We learn this stuff. We gotta. We gotta apply it. And they each have their moments. I think where they they come up with some idea to save the day, which I really yeah. liked. Like it wasn't just one person. Like it wasn't just Catherine yeah. being like, "I know what to do," because they kind of you know present her as like the smartest one or the, the most ambitious, the one who can probably do it. No, they each have a moment where they come up with an idea that will help them. Yeah, and I you know like the Morse code thing. Yes, is, is a is a cool thing, you know. The, and that there you have Tish's eidetic memory. Hey, I read a book on it once, you know. <laughs> so so she knows I, Morse code, yeah. So she knows Morse code. Um, and in fact, you know, you could say that Catherine is like fatally wrong. Yes. At one point, there's a scene where after the okay, so they recover a tank of oxygen from Daedalus. Andy, the experienced astronaut, is not able to get to it because she's too big. <laughs> so yeah. they. So they have to send Max, you know, little Leaf Phoenix. <laughs> I like calling him Leaf for this episode. I, I promise I won't do that if we ever talk about one of those other movies. They have to send him out, you know, because he, he, he's small enough to actually get to these oxygen tanks. And it's like, either that or they all die. But then when they get these back to the shuttle, they need to plug them in, connect them to the, the air hose or whatever. Yeah. And it's like a red wire, blue wire situation. It, it, it is. Yeah. 
<laughs> it is, and and I'm and I and I look at that whole mess of cables in there. It's like, how can you tell which one is next to which one? Why are they because, not labeled? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's some sort of weirdnesses <laughs> like that that I'm sure are not really the case in, in an actual space shuttle. But um, but Rudy is wrong at first, but then Catherine goes because they're running low on oxygen. He's, he's probably, yeah, he's probably freaking out a little bit. His brain's probably not working right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's he's wrong at first, and he, and he says, "What? No, wait, no. wait a minute, wait yeah. a minute. This is it." And then and he's and he's sure about it. And Catherine says, "No, it's this one." Well, the thing is, they end up going with Rudy's answer to it, and he ends up being right. Yes. And Catherine suddenly realizes, "Holy shit! I don't know. I have all the answers." Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a finally when she comes to that realization and you know i actually i need these people it can't just be about me yeah that's the perfect moment that's exactly what they needed to make them all realize that they're a team and they each have their strengths that they all need to bring to the table it can't be just one person yeah exactly and that's really of course the theme of the film yeah is is you know how much how much better we are when we listen and work as a team and that, and you know, Hey, that's not a bad, <laughs> that's not a bad theme to go with, you know, that's a good you know? message that kids need that's, to learn. Yeah. It's a great that's message great. that adult needs to learn, adult <laughs> need to learn too. I think. So anyway, it's a, it's a sentimental movie. It's uh, I think it's probably pretty nostalgic for me um, is probably why I love it as much as I do, but it, it, it's also really nice to know that you liked it too. Um, but then, of course, we have one more thing, is the re-entry situation, yes. where Catherine also makes another mistake. She she overcompensates while she's flying, and it sends the... Because Andy has been put out of commission at this point. Yes. Andy has had an injury because yeah. of a, mis, a mishap with, with yeah. the other oxygen tank. And they finally get in contact with NASA because of the Morse code. They figure mm-hmm. out where they're going to land, and mm-hmm. Catherine has to pilot the shuttle back into yes. the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, because because Andy is out of commission. She yeah. cannot do it. So I don't think she makes a mistake. Of... She just it call, calls back to that episode uh, episode. Mm-hmm. That uh scene where yes. she's in the spinning yeah, thing yeah. that you have to stabilize mm-hmm. and she could we didn't get to see her quite get that right. Right. And this is the moment where she gets it right. Yeah. It's and a good and moment for her. She overcompensates at, at first, while she's with mm-hmm. the thrusters and, and, and puts it into a flat, the shuttle into a, what's called a flat spin. So it's out of control, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're getting closer to the atmosphere. And if it doesn't, if they don't uh, get it out of this spin, they they're uh, going to burn up, <laughs> disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, obviously they, they get out of the spin. She gets out of the spin. And it's really because of the part of it, you know, it's obviously her own wits, but the, the rest of the crew encouraging um, her, encouraging yeah. her and saying, you can do this. You, yeah. we have faith in you. That's kind of a long way for them to come to because they had lost their trust in her. Yeah. So they, they come out of it. Obviously they land safely and, that's the end of it. I mean, there's no. I know. This movie has no end. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I they, they that show was the shuttle. The most disappointing thing. Was I like, know. Why is there no like welcome home, congratulations, like you did a great I job know. scene from Mission Control or anybody? No, the, the movie ends with just the shuttle landing. <laughs> Looking back on this, I compare this movie. You know, ten years later, we got Apollo 13. Truly great film. I really like I Apollo sure. 13 yeah. because I think. I mean, obviously, the dramatic tension is ratcheted up a bit, 
they were much more stoic <laughs> in their actual approach to everything. But you see that you see a lot of similarities between the two movies because they're facing the you know just disaster after disaster in this situation and just working the problem. You know, it's not it's not freaking out all the time. Um, Which I was kind of surprised at at first um but then you kind of think about who these people are and mm-hmm. how they need to react in, in order to uh get these kids out of the situation I, when they first had to launch the shuttle i was like why are these guys at mission control not like losing their minds that they just send a bunch of kids mm-hmm. into space <laughs> like right. they're like there's no like oh god like, what are we going to do? What did we just do? No, they're, they're like, okay, we had to do that. Now we just got to figure mm-hmm. out how to get them back. Like I said, I, I've been interested in space travel for a long time. and I've, I've read books. And one of the most interesting books was a, um, actually, I listened to it on audiobook. And it was read by the actual guy, Gene Kranz, who uh, was, he was the mission commander. Uh, not mission commander. Uh, I can't remember. He was the head of mission control, the guy running the, Calling the shots, he was played by Ed Harris, the guy who was played yeah. by Ed Harris in Apollo 13. His name was Gene Kranz. He he did all these different flights, and he was just that's just the way he was. He was so what I'm what I'm saying is I think the people that they depict in this movie, especially Mission Control, are very much like the actual Mission Control people. They are just like, oh shit, we have a problem. Yeah, what do we do? Exactly. You know, there's there's no time to panic. You gotta yeah. just do it. And there's but there's a shot in this movie that I've all I've never forgotten, and that is in Mission Control, right after, right after the the ionization blackout. You know, when the communications mm-hmm. are reestablished with Mission Control, there's sort of this this cheer. You know, I mean, you expect that, but there's this shot of this woman who just suddenly bursts into tears. Yes. <laughs> And that is one of my favorite moments in this movie because it's like, you know, all the, all the veneer is gone. All of the stoicism is gone. It's just like reality, humanity, you know, it's like we, we haven't been able to be this. And now it's like, we are, you know, we're human still. Yeah. Um, That's kind of probably how they were all feeling on the inside the whole time, but they couldn't, couldn't let it out because they had a job to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that's, some of my favorite sequences in this movie are the Mission Control sequences. They're short, uh, but Terry O'Quinn is fucking fantastic. Even when I watched Lost years and years later, or The Stepfather years and years later, I didn't remember him being in this movie. He looks but a little different. He does. He does. And and but he's just he's just so good. He's just so reliably good, and he's got a gravitas to it that I don't know. It, I just I, I really uh, like him in this movie. And Tom Skerritt, you know, sort of in this type of role, too. Um, so. And Andy is like that, too, throughout the movie. Yes. She doesn't. She has that same kind of, like, we got a job to get done attitude. Um, even when Max, like, freaking floats off into space, mm-hmm. on her face, like, you would think it'd be like, oh, shit. You're right. <laughs> no, she just kind of goes, okay, no, I got to go get him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, calm, exactly. Calm, cool, collected. It's like, God, I wish I could be like these people because I would lose and, my mind and have to collect myself before I could get to that exactly. point where they're at. Exactly. And I think that's honestly why, one of the reasons why the movie works is because you have astronaut characters and mission control characters acting like actual 
they're not, yeah, they're not culture. overacting for the situation. Yeah. No, right, right. It's very much like this is how these people are. I mean, this is it is a special breed, and you know, and that's something I, you can honest, definitely look up to, like yeah, watching and, how yeah, they handle it. Exactly, and and to me, I mean, we live in a in a time where it's hard to have heroes. Mm-hmm. Heroes fall a lot. Obviously, you know, I look back at the Mercury astronauts and the, even the Apollo astronauts and stuff. These were not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. No, of course not, because sure. there's no Nobody such thing. Is. Yeah, there's no such thing. And so, but I honestly look at these people and I think that is someone to look up to. That is a hero to me. Yeah. Someone who is willing to do this. And and it's just for the sake of science and exploration Exploration. and being bettering humanity. There's not really, and there's not really much else. I mean, they honestly, NASA does not pay well. I mean, it it doesn't, you're not going to get rich. And at this point, you're not going to get famous off of being an astronaut unless you die. Yeah. Which is horrifying to say, but I mean, but, but it's it's true. true. Like, can you name an astronaut? Right now, yeah, and the right only now? one I can the only one I can think of is is one who died. It, you know the the commander of, of Columbia. His last and I can't remember his first name. His last name was Husband. That's all I remember. Uh, he he, uh, but you know he. The only reason I remember his name, man, that's only within the last twenty years. I mean, that's not even more recent. That's not even like yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously, there's names like John Glenn. And Neil I Armstrong. mean, like somebody working and, like right now. But someone working right now, it's no. a different situation. It's yeah. all people from, yeah, decades ago. Exactly. Exactly. So um, anyway, I I don't know if I have that much more to say about this movie, but it still, well, it one still thing... <laughs> palpitates my heart a bit. I love it. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing I kind of got out of it, too, is that it just really... Yes, it's a highly improbable story, as we said before. Yes, it is. But I still like it because it definitely speaks to that childhood sense of wonder and adventure Mm -hmm. and getting to live your dreams and really be tested on your dreams, Um, especially with Catherine. Like, it is her her dream to be the shuttle commander and go up in space. But sometimes you have dreams like this – and you get to do them and you find out maybe you're actually not suited for them. Maybe you don't like it. Maybe it's not really for you, even though it's a dream. So it's good that they, they get the chance mm-hmm. to actually do it and be like, yeah, this is my dream. You know, finding out, I think that's, that's something I've had in my own life, you know, finding out that a dream actually isn't right for me. So I definitely got that from it too. And, you know, there's also a sense with Catherine that, you know, maybe maybe being shuttle commander right now is not for her, but mm-hmm. she might still grow into a role. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, uh, absolutely. There sometimes the dreams that don't come true are the biggest blessings. Exactly. It's like that Garth Brooks song from way back in the day. <laughs> what? Some of some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. No. no. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, speaking of corny, let's uh, not do that anymore. <laughs> um, okay. I like so, corny. <laughs> Okay, well, well, I, I I get I get occasionally sappy, but you know. So let's let's uh, let's switch gears. Switch let's, gears. Let's chat about uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh my gosh, I love this movie. Oh, 
crossfire hurricane. But it's alright now. Damn, Nick, this is the only thing anybody can say. But it's alright. Jumping Jack Flash is a guess, guess, guess. Jagger step on the replay. Oh. I freaking adore this movie. Okay, so when I was a kid, um, a lot of the movies that we had were uh, VHS tapes, movies that we had taped off of TV. And uh, one of the ones that we have, for some reason, even though we had super popular stuff, we had Raiders and Ghostbusters and Batman, one of those tapes was Jumpin' Jack Flash. <laughs> so it was just in constant rotation because we didn't have that many movies to begin with. Mm-hmm. I, I watched this endlessly as a kid. Um, recently caught up with it like last year, I think after having not seen it for so long yeah. and it still worked for me. And it's, I just watched it again yesterday. Still works for me. Uh, this is Penny Marshall's theatrical directorial debut. She had, I think directed some episodes of Laverne and Shirley. Yeah. Before this, but this was her first major motion picture job as a director. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, she had appeared in The Color Purple, Purple mm-hmm. the, the year before this. But uh, I think this was her first, like, this was her, she's basically in the whole movie. Yeah. Basically in every yeah, scene. Yeah, she, she's in every scene that, that I can recall. And that, that rings a bell for me then, uh, because I was like, why would I have seen this movie? And I have a feeling it's because my... Um, my parents had seen the color purple and quite liked it, knew that it wasn't for us at the time. I love that movie now, but, but as a kid, I mean, it, it would not have appealed to me. But Whoopi Goldberg sort of burst onto the scene after that. I mean, she had been around. I mean, doing stand-up and all sorts of things before that. But, you know, she uh, was now sort of in the zeitgeist. I mean, she was like a big star after that. And I think this was the first, like, Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, role. yeah. This was she gets to be herself, exactly. her personality. And, people were introduced to, and she's she's excellent, fantastic in color purple. But this, but it's also it's such a different character. It's not, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not her, quote unquote. Yeah, it's, exactly. we we this is this is her uh, stretching her comedy muscle. She is wonderfully funny for, in this movie, and. She's hilarious. Oh. She carries the movie so well too. For this only being her second movie, like oh yeah, she totally oh yeah for, killed it to to carry a whole movie so mm-hmm. early in your in your acting career. I mean, because the color purple. I mean, she had quite a cast surrounding her in that film too. Mm-hmm. You've got Danny Glover and you've got um, well Oprah Winfrey. Even that was a Oprah, new, new yeah. movie. New uh, she was new to film at the time too, but. But, you know, Steven Spielberg, as your director, helps, yeah, too, exactly. I think. Um, but here you have a sort of greenish star. A first-time director, you know, on this level. Because television is just different for directors. Yeah. Um, and, man, it, it just works. It's, 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 it's terrific. <laughs> and it almost wasn't like this. I mean, I don't know the specifics of it. It was kind of hard to find, like, in doing research. But there was just a lot of problems, mm-hmm. like, before it became what it was there's there's tons of people as <laughs> that are uh, credited as screenwriters mm-hmm. 
there's like four of them. I think Nancy Myers um, at one point, uh, she contributed something to the screenplay. Um, and Penny Marshall came on. There was already a director attached to the movie and he was either fired or he left or I don't know what happened exactly but she kind of had to jump in on this movie I think uh Whippy Goldberg was already attached to it uh, but but Marshall had to jump in like not really knowing anything about the script or what she was going to make of it and she just she made it her own yeah and you know watching this I was wondering was this originally conceived as a vehicle for Whippy Goldberg or was it written for someone it seemed like it probably wasn't but but the thing is, I think it just kind of came from her performance. Yeah, and but her, her, she, she brings so. I mean, honestly, part of me wonders: was this originally written for a man? Was this originally written for a white woman? Or you know what? I mean, probably. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, in nineteen eighty-six, it probably yeah, unfortunately. was. It probably was, and the, and the thing is, her personality just she clearly, I mean, added her own Whoopi Goldberg. I mean, yeah, added her own flair to the character. Um, because I mean, I can't, I can't imagine anyone else in this role, you know, the way, the Not way, now, the way no. it's performed now. And then Penny Marshall bringing in like all of her, you know, oh my comedian friends, like we're talking about a stacked yeah. cast again. Oh my gosh. Just look around in this movie and you'll see like some kind of comedic genius. Uh, Carol Kane, Phil Hartman, uh, Jim Belushi, uh, Tracy Ullman, uh-huh, John Lovitz. Uh-huh. When John Lovitz and Phil Hartman came on the screen, I was like, whoa! <laughs> it was, it was, right? it was serious. And Michael McKeon, who's in about 10 seconds of this movie, I swear. But he's, you know, <laughs> he's still memorable. Uh, Gary Marshall uh, is in yes. this. One scene, in, in, of in a great scene. We'll talk about oh, that Oh, I scene. love, yeah, it was terrific. <laughs> and then, so Annie Potts and Carol Keane. Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price, shows right. Shows up as a very poor right person at the, at the end. end. <laughs> oh, man, what a moment that is, though. At right? first I thought, because I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I know we're skipping ahead here, but I was like, are they not going to show him? I thought they were going to cut it, um, like like when when he, when he like grabs her hands or whatever. I thought that was going to be the end. I thought they were going to cut to black. Without without us uh, ever having seen him, no, we yeah, that. and 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 I'm, I'm glad they didn't do for, that. That's a good idea, actually. Yeah, but yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that. I am glad they didn't because I mean, in the end, because because it, it is just sort of this wonderful moment. Of, oh, that's <laughs> nice. It's such a yeah. it's a great way to end the movie. But we're a long way off from the end of the movie. We haven't even talked right. about okay. it. Yes, okay. So the plot of uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash is uh, Whoopi Goldberg is Terry Doolittle. Um, she works at a bank in New York City where she does like international um, money transfers. So her computer is connected to the internet to different countries. The internet <laughs> <laughs> in 1986. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, there were there were a couple of things that I was like, could computers do that in 1986? <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't sure of that, but I know the internet has existed since the 70s in some form. But this is this seemed a little bit more yeah. advanced than was actually being used at the time. So she's really good at her job, but mm-hmm. she kind of has a reputation with her boss of kind of not really doing what she's supposed to do. She likes to talk to the people mm-hmm. that she does the transfers with, and uh, one night she gets a message. From a person she's never heard of before, who calls himself Jumpin' Jack Flash. Mm-hmm. It's sort of it's revealed as they talk that he's actually um, like a spy working for British intelligence, and he's stranded in Eastern Europe in Russia, mm-hmm. 
and he needs um, some kind of contact to get him home. And so um, he he's able to, <laughs> I didn't get this when I was a kid, but I finally got it now, <laughs> like watching it last year again. Okay, so there's a thing um, that happens to Terry's computer where um, uh, she gets this video of this Russian aerobics instructor. <laughs> right. like the sa- they established that like there's a satellite in Russia that is somehow tapped into Terry's terminal at work. And so apparently, like sometimes they see video on her terminal of this like Russian lady doing doing aerobics. But that is how Jack is able uh-huh. to he taps into her uh, computer specifically because he's in Russia. So when I was a kid, I was like, I do not get what's happening here at all. You know, like he somehow hacks, he somehow hacks into her terminal, and that's how he's able to talk to her. Yeah, and that's clearly the case. I didn't really dawn on me while I was watching it though. I got to admit, it was one of those things where it's <laughs> yeah. like, I just thought it was funny. You know, I, I thought it was, right. it didn't bother me, but I was like, what's, part of me was like, what's the point of this? But now that you explain it, it's like, well, duh, that's how, that's yeah. the whole, that's how the whole thing works uh, and goes into action. Right. Yeah. So somehow like she believes him, you know, <laughs> just this, uh, just these words on a computer telling, telling her that he's a spy and that he needs help getting home. But, um, somehow they make it work to where she, um, you know, does all these things to help him. She goes to the British consulate. She contacts other people um, by getting a frying pan right. from his house. Right. <laughs> we'll get into that. And so the, they come after uh-huh. her. There's um, people that don't want Jack to come home, mm-hmm. apparently. And so she's in just as much danger uh, as Jack is. But she still does, like, everything she can to uh, to bring him home and I just, I love that so much about that movie. To me, while I was watching this, and I loved this about it, this is very much a Hitchcock plot. The whole movie, mm-hmm. the whole right. movie is North by Northwest. Yeah, it's definitely one of those yeah. ordinary person, yeah. and extraordinary situations. It's, it's exactly. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's North by Northwest. It's the man who knew too much. It's the 39 steps. Mm-hmm. It's that, that style of Hitchcock movie. Right. With a comedian as your central lead. And and so it makes this it makes you almost forget that it's a Hitchcock movie uh, or a Hitchcock plot um, because you forget that it's like a spy yeah. movie like with real stakes. Yeah, because it. It, it is very very funny. Honestly, if you directed this with let's let's go back in time, do exactly the same plot except have Jimmy Stewart as in the Whoopi Goldberg role. If you did everything else the play same, it play it straight, that would totally be a Hitchcock movie. But you know what makes this special. Uh, is that and it would be it would be good entertaining Mm -hmm. it would be a very different movie of course yeah but with Whoopi and with the kind of tone that they went for it's it's so different but they make it work Mm -hmm. they make it believable and I I think they do that through the interaction of Terry and Jack on the screen like their building up of a relationship Mm -hmm. is very real to me I mean it reminds me so much of you know the kind of relationships that we have now on on Twitter exactly. and stuff, where I, you, you don't actually see the person or meet the person, but you you have a connection. Uh-huh. I wrote that down as I mean, this movie really anticipates uh, the kind of exactly kind yeah. of internet friendships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, totally. I, I wonder if this movie can can get credit for inventing instant messaging. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, there, there's just this 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 sense to it, you know. And they, they make it even more um, personal, I think, after uh, Terry goes to Jack's apartment. Um, he sends her there to, um, written on the back of a frying pan, is um, other contacts of allies of his. 
that she needs to call, you know, to help get him a contact out of an exit contact out of Russia. But when she's there, she, um, she hears his voice on his answering machine. Uh And so for the rest of the movie, instead of just, you know, Terry, <laughs> for no reason at all, like saying, saying out, everything, loud, loud, I know, I know. <laughs> everything, it's, it's, yeah. It's it's, a, it's one of those necessary evils of filmmaking, right? Yeah. <laughs> they have um, his side of the conversation being read in his voice. Yeah, yeah it really helps, and it's kind of funny too because they're obviously um, when you actually see him at the end and everything, but even just from those initial interactions, they're complete opposite people. Yes. And they still have that connection, which I love because it, like I said, does feel very real to me because it is, it's very much like what I have experienced um, online on Twitter and with some of the people that I've made friends with, like maybe in real life, we would never even talk to each other. Mm -hmm. But here with that, that computer in between us, you know, somehow that just brings out the more real side of you. Yeah. It's one of the really, I guess, I've been using this word a lot lately for different things. It's very prescient you know, in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's just sort of foreseeing all of these possibilities with the computer, which was so new. I mean, having a personal computer and working on a computer in 1986, that was pretty new stuff. I mean, my mom had one, but she still would like type out envelopes and memos and stuff like that on a typewriter. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and even the, the computers that they use at her job are Sperry computers. I had to look that up to see if that was like a real company. It was. It was? I, I didn't I didn't know. Yeah. That. I didn't know that because I mean, like the Apple Macintosh came out in 1984, you know, mm-hmm. so personal computing, I mean, was like early 1980s, like 1982 is when it first started. I think out. it said like Sperry was active like through actually 1986. So yeah. it might have been their last year. But yeah, it's it a real company because I was wow. like, "What do they keep saying, Sperry? Like, who, who is this?" That's interesting. I, I had no idea. I thought it, I assumed it was just something that made up for the movie. Uh, nope. Wow. But I, I, I love real. the you know the monitors that have the dials on them and stuff like that, like an old television. <laughs> I mean, it's like that's that's stuff. Yeah, that so I lots of things about. are dated. Some of things are not quite so right. Um, one thing I will nag on Whoopi Goldberg for is her terrible uh, computer acting when she just says the word yo <laughs> sometimes you know and she types like 27 <laughs> keys like she, <laughs> she doesn't do the best at that she's like typing the same like letters over and over yeah. again ever yeah yeah it, it's it's yeah <laughs> some things you just have to accept for the time. yeah exactly exactly so i mean the character that we haven't mentioned that gets introduced sort of halfway through the movie is uh, Stephen Collins uh, suddenly shows up at the uh, I know <laughs> at the at the office. Uh, the less we talk about, I know, Collins. I know, I know. <laughs> yes. We kind of we kind of have to, but yeah, we okay, have at to. her office because um, because the the previous are... the previous uh, person who was working that role was having a baby and had to take it out. So yes. after this has gone on for a little while, we've gotten a little bit into the plot by that point, and then he suddenly comes in to, to take over that 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 job. Um, at first, he kind of comes in as like, is this going to be sort of like the love interest? That's what I thought really? earlier. Yeah. I, didn't I thought, that. or at, at, I did, I did. But but then that gets very much. Or you sort of think that he's probably going to be a bad guy. Or something. Yeah. I, I thought that a lot yeah. too. Um, because, well, part of it might be because of what we've, <laughs> what we actually right. have learned about Stephen Collins, but which I'm sorry, that's heartbreaking. That is one of those things yeah. that's really heartbreaking. I mean, 
it's it's a it's another yeah. it's an America's dad situation, you know, and that's happened to us twice sure. in the last you know ten years or so, and it's horrifying. Anyway, <gasps> anyway, so off the table, just just he's a character in this movie now. He he develops a, a at first I thought was like is this going to be, but then the sort of sort of the ro- there's a little the romantic element the connection she sort of makes with Jack starts to overtake that. Is what I mean. Yeah, and and I never, yeah, I never got a romantic thing between her and Murphy. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But you know, I, I think I think it was just like not not that it ever builds or anything. But when he first comes in, I, I sort of had that thought: Oh, is this going to be? This is either going to be you know like a foil, a villain, or a love interest. Right. You know that that was that sort of. Yeah, idea. He's definitely suspicious. And it was in, in some exactly because it, it was awfully coincidental. What it ends up being is is makes sense to me. It works. Yes. Um, but and, and he's just sort of like he becomes sort of an ally and 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 a, and a friend in all these things, even though mm-hmm. he knows more than he's letting on, and she's not telling right. anything. It's an interesting dynamic to throw into the mix, I think, because she needs the help. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. That, it's good that he's there eventually. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite scenes, and this is backtracking a tiny bit. We're I apologize to our listeners. We're kind of all over. In, in, in these, yeah. it, we haven't quite figured out what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, we're you know, if, we're, if we go through the plot step by step, or if we, uh, or if we just sort of go a little bit stream of consciousness, we'll we'll, we'll get it figured out. Um, but I love the sequence where she's listening to the song, where she digs she digs into her tape collection yes. and she pulls out. Okay, yes. So the, the yeah. title, <laughs> yeah. the title "Jumpin' Jack Flash" is um, that's the name that uh, Jack gives her like when he's first introducing himself uh, online he's like i'm jumping jack flash and uh, she has to figure out so that they can talk privately she has to figure out his code key or somehow it's like somehow where she can get in touch directly with him and he, he says sing with me and find the key and so mm-hmm. she figures out that's got to be in the song jumping jack flash by the rolling stones so yeah it's a great scene where she uh like all night Nick, is listening to the song, English. And, <laughs> I love trying that. to figure out the lyrics. This song's got some weird ass lyrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's you know, one of my favorite. Listen. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. Yeah. She's like, Nick, Nick, Nick. <laughs> that is, I love that scene. And you know, I love the rollings. But two lesbians? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing is, I love the Rolling Stones, but I am yeah, me too. <laughs> I am a big fan of the Rolling Stones, but I am perfectly willing to allow them to be lampooned uh, <laughs> a bit, you know. <laughs> and I think they are too. This is why they allowed it to happen, because I mean, they had to get the rights from them right. to use that song and use that title. And you know, this it's a special and the little bit. You know what I know. I mean, I'm a I'm a musician. I'm a guitar player. Um, I like listening to and, and reading, you know, biographies, autobiographies of musicians and guitar players. You know, so I read the or listened to the audiobook, I, I should say, of uh, of Keith Richards. Jump and Jack Flash is his favorite song of of theirs. Really? Yeah, it's it said if I could play just one riff for the rest of my life, it would be Jump and Jack Flash. I think it's probably my favorite song. Of theirs. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it's a it's a great team, and it's it's one of, yeah. It makes no sense. It doesn't. It, yeah. it doesn't. Totally catchy. Well, yeah. and and the thing is, I was I had heard the song before I saw this movie as a kid, but I I had no clue. It's like you know, so all those lines, you know, uh, 
uh, born in a crossfire hurricane. So I still, that's how I learned about the Rolling <laughs> the Stones. Yeah, was I, I, I learned about the Rolling Stones from this movie. And there is. Yeah, I think this one, I definitely credit this movie with introducing me to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. At a young age. Exactly. Yeah, and making me a fan. Better. And I'm not sure that the song is actually in B flat, but that's okay. Because <laughs> I know that Keith Richards tuned uh, to open G for all you guitar nerds out there. And, um, I don't know what yeah, that means. So he, he, uh, he tuned to open G and he doesn't have a six string on his, on his guitar and all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyway. No idea what Yeah, you, you have no okay. idea. No one has any idea what I just said. <laughs> Brian is the music guy. I know nothing yeah, about music. Yeah. So, I mean, if he did that, it would, he would, it'd be unlikely that he played a song in B flat. Let's put it that way. But anyway, um, it could happen. It's possible. But yeah, that's a great scene for her, her, her character and for the tone mm-hmm. of the movie. And that's the big thing that I want to say that I love about this movie is Terry. Yes. That's what I took away from it when I was a kid. And that's what I still love about now is her as a person and as a character in this movie. I love the way the opening credits kind of help establish her character too. You know, um, it's just shots of her apartment and you kind of see what kind of person she is. She has like old movie posters on the wall. She's got like um, crime, dime store crime novels that she's reading. She has like all these like weird little kitschy decorations and stuff everywhere. And that's that's who she is. And it's the same at her at her job. You know, everybody else's computer desk is got family pictures and nice stuff. And what does she have? She has like a little orange toy horse and like all these little toys. So she's a super like just outgoing quirky fun person that um everybody likes everybody except her boss who's a jerk or whatever but like everybody at her job she has tons of friends at work tons of friends that depend on her for what she does at her job she's great at her job and she knows it which i love so she has that confidence about her but they also kind of establish that she's lonely despite how outgoing and fun she is like that she doesn't maybe maybe doesn't go out as much, so she doesn't she's not really good at meeting people or being in a relationship. I really like connected with her on that, and her watching her with Jack was why that was so rewarding because she was finally getting that connection with another person. But then also um, my favorite thing about her is that she is absolutely no bullshit take no prisoners will call you out for anything and everything and says whatever is on her mind and that's fucking admirable to me and i loved that i love seeing that in a female character as a young kid um she calls out the racism and misogyny Mm -hmm. in the other characters in a way that like she's they're berating them and she has such a sharp tongue about it that they'll you know that they'll never do it again absolutely and so so i just i love her as a person that way um just so you know um i missed a lot of what you just said i had a poor connection to happen but i am excited but i i got i think i got the ideas behind it um so but if i if i if i repeat I, go, I, no, I go ahead. Just say, what did you think of Terry as a character? Just well, one of the things that you were talking about, I, just from the first moments of the film, when you're right inside her, her apartment, I'm like, yes. I want to hang out with this person. because Exactly, right? Yeah, because I mean, she's got the Metropolis poster. She's got the Casablanca. I have that same Casablanca. Maltese Falcon. Yeah, I have that yeah. same Casablanca poster in, in, in my living room. I'm like, you know, this is this person is interesting. They're into cool stuff. 
and you right. know, just the kind of person that I want to spend the next, you know, hour and forty five minutes with. You Easily. find out later that she has a giant toothbrush in the her giant apartment. Toothbrush. Like, why would you not want to hang out with somebody who has a giant toothbrush? Yeah. And I want one of those. And where can I get one? If anybody knows, please let yeah. me know. And and you know, I I think you you kind of said this, but you know, she's not she's she's really well respected by her coworkers, not necessarily right. by her boss. Because her boss only... But he's just a jerk, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's for any specific I, I reason. I think he would probably... Just because she doesn't follow the rules. I think he would probably react that way to, you know, Phil Hartman and John Lovitz's characters, too. Right. right. They're probably having similar conversations. Except for the fact that they're men. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, that that that's different. <laughs> that, you know. But maybe Carol Kane's character. But she's, she's respected by her co-workers because she's really, really good at her job. And she's... Just likable and smart and funny, and people want to hang out. And when she's yeah. walking to work, like at the beginning, mm-hmm. like she she knows everybody that she's walking by. She knows a uh, <laughs> one of my favorite characters is Larry, the heavy set guard, right. who's he's actually credited as the Larry, heavy the heavy set guard. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part where Mr. Page at the end, uh, when she's kind of freaking out, and Mr. Page yells out, "Get Larry, the heavy set guard! Get Larry, the heavy set guard!" <laughs> I love it when they do that. It's one of those little things. One of those little things about the movie. I, I love it when they when they credit uh, <laughs> credit characters based on their <laughs> script. But yeah, she's like everyone likes her. Everyone likes to to talk to her, and she's like just one of those people that you want to be around. Exactly, and you know later in the film you get this another interesting character. You get Roscoe Lee Brown as Arthur Lincoln, and he's not in it very much. But it's just again you have in this small role an actor with this gravitas. I didn't know who he was, but yeah, he reminded he's me of a, like James Earl Jones. Yeah, he's he's that kind, of, and he's a he's a pretty recognizable character actor. Um, I can't name other movies of his off the top of my head, if I'm being honest. But he's been around. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I mean, okay, um, okay, gotcha. So so definitely definitely, and he was, as I recall, he was a mentor of uh, of Lawrence Fishburne uh, when okay. he did some stage work, because uh, between. Okay, uh, in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Lawrence Fishburne is going by Larry. <laughs> Larry Fishburne, yeah. up until then. Right. Starting with What's Love Got to Do With It, he's credited as Lawrence Fishburne. He actually credits um, uh, Roscoe Lee Brown as the person who changed his mind on his credit. <laughs> you know, and said, because he, he called him Lawrence for this whole time that they worked together. And so it was sort of built up this gravitas and respectability in him. And, you know, Larry Fishburne in those early movies, it's great, you know, but Lawrence Fishburne has has something to it, you know, too. So anyway, that's a <laughs> definitely a side note. But but um, I, I think that characters, again, it's a small, small role, really small role. But when you get someone really good at it who just has an air about them, it sort of becomes this memorable thing. And I, I really yeah. like that in a lot of this movie, you know, there are so many characters who are not in the movie much, but are fully fleshed out characters, just wonderfully memorable. I mean, there's there's one character, I can't remember the actor's name, but he plays Ian, the manager in, in the movie's final tab. And he's one of the two British guys. He's the blonde British guy. The blonde, yeah, long hair yeah. guy. And um, he doesn't have a line of dialogue for most of the movie. But, you know, and then and then when it turns out that, you know, British intelligence, that these guys are actually kind of 
spoiler, he's one of the he's bad guys. He's one of the bad guys <laughs> that these that these characters are actually trying to keep Jack put away. <laughs> trying to kill, yeah, kind of yeah, kill Jack. Trying to kill Jack. Um, is, uh, it's, it's, it's that, it's a, again, it's a nice Hitchcock plot twist, you know, that comes mm-hmm. not at the end of the movie, but somewhere mm-hmm. before, um, that sort of propels You're you a, to the a end. Who's he what? Yeah. A mold. Yeah. <laughs> so. that, bring, that brings out another thing about her character that I really like is that with all these different people that she comes into contact with throughout the movie, you know, she's just like this random person who works at a bank in New York, but she, you know, she has to interact with police and people at the British consulate and people at the Queen's Ball, you know, like these supposedly like mm-hmm. higher high society type of people. And yet she never changes herself once right. to fit in with them. Right. She's always herself, yeah. no matter what situation that she's in. She's never intimidated by any of these people. Right, right. It, very true, very true. And I have, I have a problem with that myself. Like sometimes I will change my personality if I feel like I'm too big or too loud for yeah. certain people. But she never does that. She is always herself, and she's like so confident in that. And like I really looked up to that. When I was a kid, she goes to that ball dressed as Diana she goes to the Ross. Ball <laughs> with a blue sequin strapless dress on and starts singing in the yeah, middle of the French concert. Lip syncing. I love that scene. Like, I would never do something no. like that. She has no problem doing it. Yeah, it's it's so yeah, it's very refreshing, you know, to have. And you know, there is whether the role was originally written for. I mean, she definitely brings in the fact that she's a black woman into the role, too. Mm-hmm. And and that is not typical of... I mean, you had... You had uh, I'm a little black woman in a, in a, in a big, big silver, silver box. box. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, those elements are brought in, and they're brief, but they're not glossed over. They're, they're important. Uh, Gary Marshall on. as the, the cop mm-hmm. when after... Okay, she goes to meet this guy named Van Meter... Mm-hmm. Um, who's one of the good guys, but he gets killed and she gets thrown in the river and the cops fish her yeah. out. So when she's talking to Gary Marshall at the at the police station, like he is a jerk. Yes. Basically to her. He plays the racism and the misogyny card yeah. with her because because she's a black woman and he assumes that he assumes that she's like a hooker. Mm-hmm. And right. that she was she was attacked by her pimper John right. and but but what I love about her character again is that she does not let him get away with it at all. She's like, no, exactly. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? That's not me at all. I'm trying to tell you the truth. And like, well, my favorite line of the whole movie is when she just looks dead at him and she says, "You know, you can talk directly to me, asshole." Right. Yeah. That is. <laughs> I don't know why that's like my favorite line because that's something I want to say like all the time to certain people, you know. And she just says it like with and the look on his face is like, okay. <laughs> Like he kind of backs away a little bit, and, and that was like he. He knows that she means business. Yeah, and she does, and I kind of love that about her so much. What happened? I fell in the river. I told you, I didn't fall in the river. I was thrown by your pimp, your John. What is it with you people? Every time you see a black woman, it has to be a pimp or a John. What do you think? There's a lot of work down on the pier for hookers. You think I'm giving blowjobs down there to goldfish? Is she on some kind of medication? Not that I know of. Are you on some kind of medication? Marty! You know, you can talk directly to me, asshole. Watch your mouth. And that's that scene is is really great because it, it brings up a real issue, but it's it never is it preachy, never is it not 
part of the of the story. That never does it pull you out of what the situation is in any way. I mean, but it's a real in a comedy to have at that time. It's especially it seems to me to have something so pointed and so I mean, such a frankly heavy topic was refreshing. It was nice. I mean, to, that I was really yeah. glad it was there and it was. But like I said, it's not it's not anything that. That is like out of tone with the rest of the movie. They acknowledge that those issues mm-hmm. and then they they deal with them and they move on. Yeah. Like even with with Jack, yeah. when she he her name is Terry, mm-hmm. obviously, so that could be a male name. So uh, we find out in one scene when they're talking that Jack has assumed that, that she's a man. Yeah. And when he finds out that, that she's a woman, he he's immediately like, Nope, I can't ask you to do anything more like this and, and she's like, Is it because I'm a woman? And he confirms yes, and she's like, "Excuse me, <laughs> sir." Exactly. Yeah, and again, again, she's like, um, and, "You know what? I'm here. I'm helping you. If, do you want my help or not? That has no. It does not matter that I'm a woman." Another one of my favorite lines is even um, later on. Jack uh, says in one of their conversations, she gets um, some information from from Sarah, and Jack says, "You know, maybe we should leave this game to the women." Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right on. And, and the thing is, you, I gotta think. That that is Whoopi Goldberg and Penny Marshall. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh, totally. Because if this is under uh, with a different actress or actor in that lead role, or with a different director, it's a, that conversation is not part of it. Exactly. Totally. Um, and you know, because Penny Marshall was well aware that she was stepping into a quote unquote man's world by making right. a, a big Hollywood comedy. And you know what? She slayed it. She was one of. Yes. I mean, she. Her her films are. I mean, she didn't make as many as as I would have liked, but the ones I that know, she, yeah, the ones she did make, I that I can think of that I've seen off the top of my head, I really think are not only good, but really excellent films. I mean, uh, A League of Their Own is is a brilliant movie. Yeah, flat out brilliant. Movie. Two of my favorite movies mm-hmm. right here: exactly. Jumpin' Jack Flash and A League of Their Own. Both. And I and and that big big was nominated for best picture. I mean, it, yep. big is a great film. Um, I it was one that I that I as a kid I thought was okay, but I watched it again um, again a couple of months ago. We watched it with our kids, and it was like this movie is astonishing. It is dealing with so much more than its premise would indicate, and so is this. You know, and that's one of the things that I look for in a director. Are they bringing, or any filmmaker, writer, whatever, are they bringing something more than just the premise? You know, are they are they yeah. going, are they taking me, are they causing me to think about something I might not have thought of before? Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, a movie like this, I was like, I'm going to sit down and have a great time, and I am, and I do, but there's other stuff really going on here, too, that yeah. is of a heavily serious nature that is not glossed over but it's not preached it's just it's part of the fabric of the film and it's something i yeah, mean she's not... basically like an early feminist character yeah. in a way but they don't like go out it's just it's just who she is yeah. and the way she presents herself yeah. that that makes it that way like yeah it's not preachy at all mm-hmm. she's just a character that's gonna stand up for herself and not take any shit from you and it's proof that a premise that I get pushed back on sometimes is this idea that a movie can't be both entertaining and political, which is bullshit. Oh, whatever. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I wrote, okay. <laughs> I, 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 maybe it's still a sore spot for me. 
I wrote an article um, a while back about Nightmare on Elm Street and how it related to uh, the uh, the whole Black Lives Matter. This was right around the mm-hmm. time that that you know the riots were starting going strong, and I said you know I related it to a Nightmare on Elm Street, and I got some of the pushback I got was this was my favorite. This is my favorite comment ever. Okay, you ready for this? Wes Craven was Wes Craven was not a political filmmaker. <laughs> it's like okay, the, what? I know, I know. Okay, Wes Craven made terrifying and entertaining movies. Okay, everything he made was political. Every Swamp oh. Thing is political. <laughs> totally. It's it's just like you know the it was. Sometimes a movie can be entertaining and funny or scary or anything else and not be preachy and still be political, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, all these filmmakers are coming in to making their movies with some sort of personal perspective. You can call it bias if you want, but I don't think you have to. I think you can say, you know, this is a point of view. And I think that's yeah. what we want in our filmmakers. You know, the ones that reach us the deepest are the ones that bring themselves. Being a kid and still not knowing anything about, you know, filmmakers or directors yeah. or whatever, I I had no idea that this was Penny Marshall, you know, watching it all that all those times when I was I didn't a kid. know it was Penny Marshall but... until you told me it was, honestly. Because <laughs> I was like, what, really? Because, I mean, as a kid, when I would have seen this, I would have thought Laverne True. Yeah, but growing up and you know, A League of Their Own became Mm -hmm. one of my favorite movies and actually seeing Penny Marshall and hearing her speak or whatever, I go back, I went back to thinking about Jump and Jive Flash. I was like, that's totally Penny Marshall. Like I can see her voice like all over this movie. And uh, yeah, and and Big, you know, is is maybe a little bit different kind of film in the canon because the central character is male, but that sensibility is all there. She was remarkable. She's missed. I think her voice, her totally. voice was yeah. such an important voice, and still is. And that's the beauty of movies is that her voice lives on. And movies like Jumpin' Jack Flash that came out in 1986 are can be just as relevant now. Yeah, I really think it is too. Yeah, I was surprised at how relevant it was, to be honest. Yeah, and frankly, much more relevant than Space Camp. But <laughs> but you know, Space Camp has its relevances too. I mean, they're 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 not uh, trying to dig quite so deep into. Uh, some of these issues that we're talking about, but but I think there are some really interesting things in both these films. And, and there's also like totally some iconic comedic moments yeah. that we oh, haven't quite mentioned yet. Let's go, let's go. <laughs> okay, so I, I think one of the most famous ones is when she's at the Queen's Ball at the British Consulate. Okay, <laughs> she's wearing her blue sequin dress that the computer at the consulate has contact names that she can give to Jack. So that's what she's doing there. She goes into their computer room. Her dress gets caught in a paper shredder. (laughs) There's a great scene of her like flailing around. Yeah, exactly. Pull a dress up as her dress is getting eaten by the paper shredder. (laughs) And something I just saw um, last night, I was, um, 
as I was researching and looking into this, there was a video of uh, when Whoopi Goldberg was on some late night um, show and um, Tiffany Haddish came on to surprise her mm-hmm. because uh, I guess Tiffany Haddish like loves her and she was wearing the oh, Jumpin' really? Jack Flash dress. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was just a great moment and Whoopi recognized it immediately. She was like, I know that dress. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's so, so yeah, that, that's probably the most famous scene, probably from this movie. Yeah, well, for me, I remember seeing in the previews. I remember seeing a different one, and because in the trailer, I re- as soon as I because I watched the, the trailer in the phone booth. Yeah, because because yeah. uh, obviously, just like now, uh, there were you know trailers on the front of, of VHS tapes too, and so that's how we sort of learned about this movie, and we saw saw that moment where you know she gets dragged over in the she's inside a phone booth she's making a <laughs> phone call a tow truck sneaks up and and the bad guys yeah, the, not just a random tow yeah truck that's right the bad the bad, the bad guys. guys in a tow truck attach a hook to the top of the phone booth and they pull her around the street while she's inside the phone booth yeah i'm a little so black woman around in a big City. silver box <laughs> silver box yeah. yes she makes the comment that everybody is probably thinking that only in New York can you get be dragged around a phone booth and nobody does anything because everyone's on the streets just like <laughs> they're just getting yeah whatever that's totally normal thing to see in New York. yeah it's 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 a great it's a, it's a really funny moment and then that leads to probably my favorite scene she gets caught by the bad guy again Jim Belushi who um, gives her some truth serum right to uh, try to get her to give him Jack's code key yeah. And he gives her too much, and she gets away from him. And she was on her way to go meet up with, um, yeah, that is right, because she, yeah, she was in the phone booth calling to see where Sarah was at. Right. Um, Sarah was spending the day at Elizabeth Arden, and so yeah, Whoopi Goldberg and Terry goes into Elizabeth Arden, crazy overdosed on true serum, and just like rampages through the place and freaks everybody out and she's hilarious she's got like kind of like a raspy thing to her voice uh-huh. which makes her even funnier yeah, to me yeah. i just uh, that's that's probably my favorite scene i love that and then when she's still kind of hopped up you know she goes back to her office and she because back to back to work yeah because she has this whole thing where she where she slides down the banister you know, and and she tries to do that, and she sort yeah. of falls off and drags herself <laughs> under it. Yeah, it's it's that's another thing. I was like, well, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, I remember that moment. Um, yeah, <laughs> and some of it. And she finally stands up to her boss. <laughs> exactly. You know, and some of the things are big set pieces. Some of them are just little moments that are just so memorable. Yeah, there's there's a lot to like about this movie, and I think this movie seems to me to be underseen. Even though I, I was yeah. glad to see that it was, and even though it's not available on DVD um, anymore, I should say it's out of print um, and it does not have a Blu-ray. It you can stream it, you have to rent it, but you know, it's definitely well worth paying you know, the four dollars. Just pay the four dollars and watch this movie. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's well pay the four dollars. Trust me. Yeah, it's, it's well worth it. It's well worth it, and it's it's funny and it's got poignant moments, but mostly it's just a blast. It's it's super yeah. fun. Whoopi Goldberg is amazing. Carries the movie like a champ. Yeah. And she's hilarious the whole way through, and you love her character, and you love all the little side characters. Yeah. Carol Kane is, is hilarious. She, in this movie. She's, I love, she's, I mean, she's great in some like when a stranger calls, but when mm-hmm. she does comedy, I mean, that's, she's so, she's so well seen for it. I mean, it, she's yeah. just so 
<laughs> she first meets Marty and yeah. she's always trying to the thing about her character is she's always like dating and always trying to find a man so she kind of comes on to Marty and he's got a picture of his family and she's like well shit yeah. welcome anyway <laughs> with, with her voice obviously <laughs> she's so her, funny. her voice and and to me it was it was her eyes she's 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 mm-hmm. got she's got really expressive eyes she has kind of large eyes dark dark yeah. circles under him all the time it seems like but getting to the end of the movie too um obviously she meets the bad guys she gets jack as out of contact and at first they they want to meet up uh for dinner as a jack wants to say thank you to her but he doesn't show up but yeah it leads up to a great moment when she's back in her office right. and they're talking through the computer again but jack's actually in the room and you see him for the first time in the movie and it's jonathan price yes. It needed that. It really needed that they uh, that they actually she actually got to see yes. him, and that they still have the connection. You can tell that he, no matter you know that they're totally different. Like he's a British white dude, and she's like a little black woman in a big silver right. box in New York City. Yeah. You can tell that they're still at least going to be friends. Yes, exactly. I guess my biggest takeaway from this movie was that whole idea of you know these. And we've talked about this a couple times in this conversation already. It's sort of that was sort of the fruition of this sort of this internet relationship. Yeah. You know, just that idea. These connections are real, uh, even though sometimes people yes. want to say they're not. It's, and it's and it's easy to yes. resist that. You know, it's easy to say, well, I've never really actually talked to this person. Do I actually <laughs> have a connection yeah. with them? <laughs> you know, but, you know, as, as I mean, I know we're still meeting by a computer here but i mean i but when we actually started having these conversations like this it was like yeah this really is a friendship and you know not just this this uh sort of i you know obviously i think both of us and i have even been a little nervous that that it's like what if we start talking to each other we just don't like each other (laughs) if we don't actually like each other but but uh fortunately that has not turned out to be the case and and we've uh and you know and maybe after the Rona is over, uh, maybe one of these days we'll actually get to meet face to face. Maybe one of these days that anyway, could happen. One of these days. One of these. All days. right. So that's all right. Those are the movies. I, sorry, I got sappy again. Look at me. That's twice in the same episode. I know. That's okay. Sappy. That's good. Those movie. These movies kind of brought that out, though. I like that because that's kind of the main takeaway I took from from Jump the Jack Flash this time around. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was that connection, that idea of internet connection and relationships. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a good way to end it. Yeah, and these were both really fun movies to watch again and uh, to revisit. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen either of these or haven't seen them in a while, definitely worth a, worth a listen. Or definitely worth, worth a watch. If definitely. You, if you haven't in a while. We're worth okay. a listen. We are <laughs> worth a listen. All right, so um, our weekly recommendation... For this episode, um, I don't really have anything super big. Just um, I'm on vacation this week, so I'm obviously watching a lot of movies. Probably my favorite one that I've watched so far is Robert Altman's Three Women that I saw for the first time. Um, so yeah, good. I'm, I'm slowly getting caught up on Altman's films. And this one is the most like trippy, like weird kind of one I've seen, but I... Absolutely loved it. Loved Shelley Duvall and Sissy's basic in it. So if you haven't seen this one yet, watch it. It's on Criterion. 
they're having a sale right now, exactly. which they might not be when this comes up. I keep, we keep trying to be timely. Yeah. We don't know when this is coming up, but yeah, great movie. Definitely. It, it really is. Uh, I'm going to recommend, uh, so I watched uh, Bly Manor yeah. and then in, and it was, it's an excellent movie. Um, but I also, um, I just want to recommend two things like real quick. One of them is uh, Henry James's novella, uh, Turn Up the Screw. Uh, I highly recommend reading that if you're interested in The Haunting of Bly Manor, which actually it expands on everything quite a bit and goes into some and draws on some other Henry James uh, work as well. Um, so it's, that's worth exploring. But I want to specifically mention uh, an adaptation of the movie. Um, from 1961, or the adaptation from 1961 of the novel, and that is uh, called The Innocents. It is, I, I had seen it before, but watching it again, it was like, this movie is incredible. It's got so much going on. It's so subtle, uh, so a lot of ambiguity, but uh, just, you know, which, <laughs> so like three women, frankly. I mean, you <laughs> talk about, you know, lots of, sort of psychological stuff going on yeah. in these movies. Um, so that, yeah, so I'll, I'll recommend uh, The Innocence from 1961. Also on Criterion, by the way. Ah, that's true. Yeah, that's... so hey, maybe that tied in more than we thought. Maybe our recommendation is just Criterion. There we go. <laughs> just just buy the Criterion collection. There you go. Just buy all the Criterion. All of the Criterion <laughs> collection. That's the way. I'm, I'm working I, on it. I'm trying. You know, I, if, if, if I, if, yeah. If I had more money than I do. Right? Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so, next week, next week we are going all the way back to the beginning, and we are talking about birth year movies. So, Michelle, what movie are you bringing to the table for us? Um, I am bringing um, My Birth Year is 1985, which has, like, a ridiculous amount of good movies. But the one I have chosen is Peter Bogdanovich's Mask. And I have chosen uh, from 1978. And boy, there are a lot of movies from 1978 to pick from. I picked one that was really special to me as a child. Uh, and that is Richard Donner's Superman the Movie, which, as I understand, you have not seen. No. no. I'm not big on uh, comic book superhero and, stuff, but I'm actually excited to see this and one. And the thing, the thing is... Christopher Reeve. You know, to be honest, I'm, I'm not either, at least on the more current ones, but there's something different about this one. I, I, I hope you like it. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed on this <laughs> one because I think there's something really special, uh, particularly in... Christopher Reeve and, and uh, Margot totally. Kidder and, and you know the, the just this whole cast is really wonderful and Richard Donner Richard yeah. Donner you know it's totally. something different you know and you said that that one was available for streaming rent uh, that I I don't know I imagine Superman is probably not too hard to find um, Mask unfortunately is mm-hmm. not available streaming anywhere that we could find I have a I have an old DVD I'm sure the DVD is it's still in print I believe and mm-hmm. it should be fairly cheap by now it's it's out there it's just, it's just it's not available on streaming but that DVD I, I found it at my local library which we highly recommend local libraries yes if we have always before. check your local library um, support them yeah or DVD Netflix I'm sure has it you might be able to yes. find it somewhere as well if you're that interested and it is on DVD Netflix if you have a DVD plan and um, by the way uh, Superman the movie 
This is the 1978 one, so don't don't get it confused with you know <laughs> Brandon Routh or any of those people. Uh, it's available if you have a subscription to HBO Max or DC Universe. It's there. You can rent it everywhere. All right, so that's what we got coming up next week, and that'll do it for us. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, very much I for think. listening, and we appreciate yes. it. And you can find us on. Oh, that's yeah, right. We, boy, <laughs> we're, we're, we're still not great we're, at this. We're we getting this. there. We will get there. <laughs> you know, this is this is episode two. Uh, I'm sure by episode 672, Six, we'll be great. 10, 20. Yeah, yeah um, we'll get there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes, you can follow us on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Michelle in Agen. And you can find me at Brian D. Kuiper. And you can find the podcast at Movie Life Pod. You forgot for a second. I did. Didn't you? I saw the look on because your face. Because we're still waiting. <laughs> we're a- still okay. So there. Uh, as of this recording, I'm still waiting to, to get our our graphic. And so as soon as that graphic is on there, we're gonna we're gonna start teasing that that uh, actual Twitter Twitter yes, handle right. and 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 get it out there. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. And you know what are some unusual childhood favorites that you have? Feel free to tweet at us, and we would love to interact with anyone who would like to interact with us. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.